You're listening to the sermon podcast of Mountain View Church. Whether you're here catching up on last week's message or digging through a past series, we're so grateful you've tuned in today. Our prayer is the next 30 to 40 minutes helps you become a more whole follower of Jesus. If you're local and would like to join us, we'd love to see you this Sunday. For those who can't make it in person, services are also streamed on Facebook and YouTube. All the information about service times, what we have for kids, and much more can be found on our website, almsville.church. Now, let's open our hearts and minds to today's message. Making change. This is the perfect time for this series. Uh, It may not feel like it. It may not feel like it because inflation is soaring and, and gas prices are roaring. And I can't think of another rhyme there or I would put it in there, right? Things feel tight. The headlines are kind of scary. Um, so I, I get that. But I also probably guess that most of us are kind of trying to make a new plan, right? We're looking at our finances. We're looking at our budgets. Uh, we're looking at our income and our expenses. All those kinds of things are going, okay, here, uh, how's this going to shake out, right? Just me? I'm the only one that's like, maybe if I put $15 of gas in my car, it will magically become 50, right? Anybody else? Okay. So we're all kind of, we're all thinking about this topic all the time. Um, And at Mountain View, to me, if if there's a topic that's relevant to real life, then it's relevant to church because God's word is about real life stuff. Um, so, So it's a good time to talk about this. And don't share yours, okay? But whether it was recent or like distant past, We've all made some really boneheaded financial decisions, like some dumb stuff with our money, right? Don't say it. Don't look at anybody either. <laughs> look at me. I, all eyes on me. We had a marriage conference yesterday. Some of you got a lot of ground covered. Let's not go backwards, okay? Look at me, all right? Let me go first. I'll break the ice. Let me go first. So when I was in college, I was 19 years old as a freshman in college. Um, I had been dating a girl that I met in high school. So we had a long-distance relationship happening. Those always go super well. And we've been together for about a year at that point. And uh, I, I was in a traveling choir, okay? It's called the University Chorale. And we would travel around and sing at different churches. We'd go on different trips, especially on spring break. We'd go on a longer trip, right? So sometimes we'd go to Europe. That was pretty cool. Um, this year, we were going to New York City. And I'd never been to New York City. I'd grown up in what I thought was a small town until I moved to Almsville. So... <laughs> I grew up in a medium-sized town, I think, is what I've realized now. Uh, but New York, right? I mean, it was like, wow. And uh, awesome trip, singing some amazing cathedrals and churches. We stayed in Times Square for one night, like, just did all the things. And, and it was awesome. What was not so awesome at the time of that trip was my relationship with my then-girlfriend. In fact, my, my friends and roommates kind of just had a running joke. Like, if I answered the phone, they just knew, let's get out of the room. It's not going to go well. Because we, we would just fight on the phone all the time about stupid stuff. Didn't even matter, right? Just fight. It was not going well. So, on this trip, I had an idea. If I could bring back a memento from New York City to just let her know how much I loved her, that I was thinking about her, you know, that would, that would smooth over a multitude of sins, right? <laughs> All of the fights. So, so I go to New York, and what do you think I bought? Well, I, I can think of a few things from New York that a 19-year-old freshman in college should maybe get his girlfriend. 
like one of those trendy I love New York t-shirts, right? That would be appropriate. Uh, a replica of the Statue of Liberty. Like, look, you can have this on a keychain or something, you know. Or um, There's actually some artists in the streets doing artwork and, and paintings, and so you could, like, give them your names, and they would, you know, like a little cool heart thing. You know, like, I, I could pay 20, 30 bucks for something like that. That might be a good idea. Something simple, right? Something I could afford. You know what I got her? How about a necklace at Tiffany and Company? You know what Tiffany and Company is? Okay. I was a poor college student who was eating cereal for three meals a day. I had no business going 50 miles of Fifth Avenue, let alone into that store. But I went for it, man. She was so impressed. We got along so well for like 48 hours. It was like, took care of everything, right? I mean, it's like, if you're watching, I hope you still have that stupid thing, right? Like, so expensive, right? She's not watching. She blocked me a long time ago. We're good. Right, we're good. Just dumb, right? Like, I look back at that, I go, what an idiot. We've all, we've all done dumb stuff. Maybe not that bad, right? And, and sometimes we, we mess up and we make a bad decision with the money and it becomes a joke like this, like using a sermon. <laughs> you know, and you can just, you can tell and you can laugh about it now. It's like, eh, it's fine, I've recovered, you know. Sometimes, though, it becomes a pattern, right? A pattern of decision. Last week, Betsy, Pastor Betsy talked about habits and how so much of our life is controlled by unconscious habits, things that we do, we don't even think about it. Uh, that can be true of our finances too. Like we have these patterns, we have these habits that we fall into and we don't even really think about it and they're pretty dumb, right? And, and they get us in, in a world of hurt and stress becomes a lifestyle. So as we start this series, let me ask you a question. Right, don't answer out loud, don't look at anybody else, just think about this for a second. Right, when you think about money, does your finances bring you fear, or freedom? Right? Does it bring you fear or freedom? Because this series is not about shaming anybody, making you feel bad about your expenses or, or whatever it is, but my sincere prayer is that if you are on the, the fear side of that equation, you just be honest enough to say, yeah, actually, when I think about money, it's just a lot of stress and anxiety and fear. My prayer is that by the end of this series, you will have at least moved closer to freedom. Because I don't believe God wants you to live in constant worry. I think that's pretty clear from his word. Right? That we are not supposed to wake up every day and be absolutely stressed to the bone and be so worried and frustrated about our finances. But that fear, right? If you say like, yeah, I'm on the fear side. This is the thing. That, that fear isn't going to magically disappear. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and go, oh, I feel so much better now because that pastor talked about it. You might feel worse. The only way that fear goes away is by making change, changing some of those habits, changing the way that you think about money, allowing the word of God and what it says about finances to get into your 
mind and into your heart and then beginning to change the way you live and the way that you think. Like Craig Rochelle um, at Life Church, he puts it this way. He says, investing in a better tomorrow starts by making change today. Uh, you, want, you don't want to feel that way tomorrow? You want, to, you want to move from fear to freedom? That starts by making change when? Today. Now. Right? That's true of every area of our life, isn't it? Not just true of our money. If you want a different future, you've got to make changes now. So, um, again, anytime we talk about this, I'll get at least one email. So let me just, let me cut you off. Uh, <laughs> why are we talking about money in church, Pastor? You know, our churches want your money and, uh, you know, we shouldn't mix religion with finances, right? And, and maybe you even feel that way. But the reality is chances are very high. You've already mixed these things. You, the way that you live and talk and think, you, you've probably already mixed spirituality and money. You just don't think of it that way. For example, have you ever prayed that you would get a job? God, I need to provide. Like, you need money, right, to live? Money's not bad. I need a job. Lord, would you let this interview go well? Would you let them see only the positives in me and on my resume, right? Would you open a door for employment for me or my spouse? Or who, because we need, like, we need funds. We've got bills to pay, right? Have you ever prayed about those things? Like, you're, you ever rubbed a lucky rabbit's foot or called on the forces of the universe or, like, whatever you got? You're, you're already mixing spirituality with money. Or maybe, have you ever prayed that you would find a certain house or that your house would sell or that you could, you could, get in the rental that you desperately need? You ask God, God, would you do something? Would you shine your favor? Would you, like, make it happen, right? Like, most of us already do this. Most of us already make spirituality of money. In fact, on your money, printed in the United States, is this phrase, in God we trust on our money. So even our culture, like our country's history, we've kind of had this weird mix where we recognize that God ultimately is our provider. Like he's ultimately involved already in our finances. And that's okay, right? That, that's okay to mix them because the Bible actually has a ton to say about this. In fact, if you read the whole scriptures, right, from beginning to end, cover to cover, you'll find the Bible talks more about finances and how to manage it and, and what we should do with our money than it talks about faith and prayer combined. Do you know that? It's a really practical book. It's almost like God knew that this would be a big deal. <laughs> like, they're going to need a lot of help with this one. Let's stick a lot in there. Right? Jesus, like almost every other parable he talks about is about money. And, and when he's talking about other things, um, it, maybe he's talking about faith or trust or, or whatever, but he'll use money almost as like an illustration of the thing he's trying to teach. Super practical. And I think his most profound teaching on money is in Matthew chapter 6, right? If you're on the Bible app and open up to the event, it's in there. But Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21. And this is so profound. Like, even if you don't go to church, you've never read this before, you've never read your Bible. I think you know he's right. This is one of those that you go, wow, Jesus has got, he's on to something. And in the context of Matthew chapter 6, I want you to notice, if you, if you read around this passage this week, he's talking about religious stuff, we like to like compartmentalize our life, you know, but he's talking about 
prayer and fasting. Uh, he, he's talking about forgiveness, like all of that stuff, this religious, you know, kind of talking points. And then he, without skipping a beat, moves right into this conversation. So for Jesus, like that stuff that you and I look at and go, oh, that's kind of spiritual. Uh, that's, that's on the same level as money to him. It doesn't even, doesn't even separate them. All right, so Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. <clears throat> it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is really, really profound. That where your treasure is, your heart will be. You could put this another way. If you want to summarize the whole point of what Jesus is trying to say there. Jesus is saying, as your money goes, your heart follows. As your money goes, your heart is intimately connected to your finances. As your money goes, your heart follows. That's what he's saying. If you, so... Let's just get really practical here. I'm going to use me as an example because you're already uncomfortable enough, I can tell. That means, if that's true, if what Jesus says is true, that where my treasure is, my heart will be, that, if you want to know where Mike's heart is, don't listen to my sermons. Look at my bank statements. Right? If you want to know where somebody's heart is, like is their heart aligned with God's heart? If you want to know the condition of my heart, don't admire my Bible and, oh, it's so marked up. I bet he really reads that a lot. Don't admire my Bible. Analyze my budget. Because as my money goes, so does my heart. Where my treasure, for, for those of us, our treasure, by the way, is not like gold and silver. I mean, if you got some of that, you're sitting pretty. So good for you. But for most of us, our, our treasure are these like little pieces of paper with dead presidents on them. And we get really excited about them. And we spend them and we save them. And you know, those, that's your treasure, right? Where those things are, where your dollars go, your heart is intimately connected to that. And so this is why it's such an important thing to talk about and to get right. Because I want... I want my heart to be as God's heart. Like I want my heart to reflect his in this world. And, and I want my heart to be right before him, right? Because he's the only one that can actually see a heart. We see the outside, but he's the one who can see deeper than that. He actually sees what's going on in here. And if I want my heart to be right with him, then I've got to somehow think about my money the way he does. But for that to happen, we might have to make some changes. Right? Some of us are going to realize in this series, yeah, there, there's some changes that I need to make. And the first is, there's just basically one, one main point a week. But the first is less is more. Right? That some of us need to make this change. In, and I think it's more of a change of mindset than anything for us to understand that, that less is more. Uh, that's pretty countercultural, right? That doesn't really line up with, with the world. But it's actually what scripture teaches us. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Ecclesiastes chapter four. Not a book you probably spend a ton of time in. Ecclesiastes, Old Testament. It's on the Bible app. 
you can scan that QR code and it's going to open up an option to hit, click on the Bible app. It's even, I'm like making it as easy as possible for you to get that thing. Okay, so scan that. You can get there. Um, you know where you could also find this? In a print Bible. Yeah, crazy. Wow. Um, we've got a few, we, we've ordered a bunch of new Bibles and they're trickling in. This whole supply chain thing is cramping our style, but they're trickling in. So there's like little, there's like, and they're large print. How many, how many say amen to the large print on the Bible? You're welcome. You're welcome. I love you. Because regular print Bible is not like, it's tiny print. Have you ever noticed that? I'm 38 and I need a large print Bible. That is not good. That is not good. Okay. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 6. Just one verse, one verse. Man, it packs a punch. It says, better is one handful with tranquility, or some versions say peace, than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Okay, another translation, um, I think it may be a little easier to understand, says it this way. It's better to be content with what you have than to always be chasing and struggling for more. Right? Better to be content with what you have than always chasing more. Now, that is so the opposite of our world. Our world says more is always better. Oh, like more, more, more. Right? If, if one plate of bacon is good, 12 plates of bacon is better. <laughs> I can't argue with that one, actually. I'm having a hard time. Can't poke a hole in that one. I think that's pretty good. Uh, if having one reliable vehicle is nice, having multiple cars is better. Go outside. I got choices, right? What do you want to drive today? I don't know. The sun's looking good. Let's put the top down, you know? More is better. If one spouse is amazing, then... Not that one. Not that one, right? I went to a marriage conference yesterday. I'm pretty sure we didn't learn that, right? <laughs> one, right, one. But, I mean, we can all think of examples probably, right, where the, the world tells us that you just got to get more. You need more of that. More, more, more is always better. Certainly does that when it comes to finances. But the writer of Ecclesiastes says the opposite. He says somehow less is more. This is a mind thing. This is an attitude thing. Right? Better one handful than two handfuls. What? No way. Two handfuls is always better. He says, no, that's actually not true. Sometimes just having one handful is better than chasing another one. Now, the author of the book of Ecclesiastes is a bit of a mystery. Um, tradition is that Solomon wrote it. It was either Solomon wrote it or what's, what's obvious is that it was inspired by the life of Solomon. Someone's writing um, as if they were Solomon and talking about Solomon. Um, why, why is that important to know? Well, because Solomon was filthy rich. Right? The guy who wrote that verse, Ecclesiastes 4, he was not like some starving artist. Okay? He was not a freshman in college who couldn't afford to buy anything. Right? He was stinking rich. Uh, he might have been the richest person to ever live. He was certainly the richest person in his time in the ancient world. First, first Kings tells us, First Kings 10, 14, says that King Solomon received 25 
tons of gold annually. That's like yearly, okay? That is a billion plus dollars worth of gold every single year that he was king. He would collect these tributes from all of the countries that they had overseen and conquered. 25 tons of gold a year. That doesn't include the value of his animals, uh, his, his real estate portfolio, right? It doesn't, it doesn't include, um, you know, his taxes that he collected from everybody. Like, that, that doesn't even include all of that. So he was extremely rich. He potentially had a net worth in the trillions, not the billions. And what does he say? I've learned that better one handful than two handfuls and all the stress that comes with it. Right? Despite all of his possessions and all this stuff, Solomon came to understand something that I think for, for many of us is like the biggest thing that we've got to get first before we can ever go any further in this conversation. Right? Solomon figured out that the richest people in the world are not those who have more, but those who need less. Being rich isn't about having more. It's about coming to the place in your life where you go, I don't need that. You will feel more rich getting to that point than you will if you get more. Are you tracking with me? Because the truth is we spend so much energy trying to get rich, you know, like trying to get more. If I could just get a little more here, a little more there, if I could just get another one of those and kind of just move up and do it. We, try to, we spend so much of our resources and our energy and our time trying to get rich when the reality is most of us in this room already are. Now, we don't feel rich, especially right now. I put, put $20 of gas in my car because that's all I do in town until I can get to Costco, you know? But I was like, wow, I heard an amen on that. That was, <laughs> preach. <laughs> Like, I don't feel very rich. I get that. Inflation is a problem. Housing in our state is ridiculous. Um, you know, supply chain, like I said, we can't even get enough Bibles right now. Supply chain issues are, are causing a problem with that. Like, I, I get it. I understand that. And some of us live with very, very real pressure. And I'm not trying to diminish that whatsoever, okay? But you're more rich than you feel. Part of that is because we live in this culture that says more. But part of it too, I think, is we, we have a, a small perspective. So um, there used to be a website called the globalrichlist.com. Um, apparently it's been archived, but I found it. There's a thing called the Wayback Machine, and you could find archived websites. It's, I'm serious, there is. Okay, so I found it. I found it. Um, and, and what it does is in the Global Rich List, you, you type in your current income and uh, you pick, you know, dollars or pounds or whatever your currency is, and it will compare your wealth with the rest of the world. Now, you can include your house and your assets and that stuff if you want. You can include all that. Um, but just to make things simple, I kind of kept that out of this equation. And I thought, you know, what is, what is the poverty level in Oregon? So, so the state of Oregon considers poverty for an individual, for one person. The poverty level in Oregon is $12,760. Okay, so $12,760 a year in Oregon puts you at the level we would call poverty. Okay, not, that's not a lot, right? When you type that in and hit share my results, you find out you're actually a part of the 12.22 top percent earners in the world. 
You make more than, more than, more than everybody except 12%. It's going to be easy for you to remember, right? If I make $12,000, I am in the top 12% of earners in the world. Now, in one hour, um, that breaks down to about $6.65, which again, I'm not saying anybody should live, live on that or should work for that in these days, okay? But just perspective, $6.65. In that same hour, a worker in Ghana makes $0.08. Cents. Eight cents an hour. And so that's just using the poverty level, right? $12,000, 12%. As best I could tell, the average household income in Almsville uh, at the last, you know, census or whatever was a little over 50000 I just rounded it. Okay, $50,000 a year is the combined average household income. For some of us, it's like, man, I wish I had 50000 Then I'd feel rich, you know. For some of us, are going like 50000 Like, man, that's not that much at all, right? Just, it's the median. It's the average. Not a lot. I don't think any of us would really say, though, boy, if, you made 50, if your house has $50,000, you are wealthy. Like, you are killing it. Right? I think most of us would just say, yeah, it's kind of right in the middle. And yet, if your house has $50,000 of median income, you are in the top, get this, 0.31% of households in the world. You're a one percenter. You realize that? We talk about, in our country, we talk about the 1%, and we, we think of, well, this week, who have you been, who's everybody been talking about? Elon Musk, right? Oh, he's buying Twitter, and it's the best thing ever, or it's terrible. And I'm like, you didn't even have an opinion five seconds ago. But anyway, like 0.31%, $50,000. And, and the, here's the thing. We look at billionaires like Elon and Bezos and, and those guys, and the reason we like to think about them or look at them is because it lets us off the hook. We go, well, that's rich. Those guys should really do something with their money. Because they are rich, right? Compared to most of the world, I am super wealthy. And most of us in this room are too. So what that tells me is that having more stuff apparently doesn't make me feel rich. Right? Because I have more stuff than most people in the world. Did you know I have a separate house for my car? called a garage. I can't park in it because I have too much stuff. But most people in the world don't even have a vehicle, let alone a separate house for it. Right? It's kind of silly. Like, try to explain a garage to someone in Ghana. It's like, you have a... to Huh. Right? So apparently, having more doesn't make you feel rich. Apparently, needing less does. And, and having more doesn't make you wiser with what you have either. A lot of us think, like, well, if I could just make another 10%, if I could just have another comma or whatever, well, then I'd really... No, you won't. You'll just do the same thing you're doing now with more zeros. It, this is why people who, who win the lottery, you know, like 70% of them are broke within a few years. Because having more doesn't make you wiser with it. You just do the same dumb stuff you have just with more. <laughs> right? <laughs> Anytime we have extra of something, we tend to have less discipline with it. This is how we could have more and more 
stuff than most of the world. And yet, a lot of us would probably say, I feel more stressed and more, more stretched thin. Why is that? The reason is because of what Ecclesiastes says, right? Sometimes one handful with peace is better than chasing another, right? Having two handfuls, but it's just a toy. It's a chasing after the wind. Did you know when you, when do you catch the wind, by the way? You, you don't. You just keep on chasing. And for, for a lot of us, that's how this, this get rich idea is. We just keep on chasing, keep on more and more and more. All you have to do to kind of experience um, how backwards our culture is on some of this stuff is to get outside of our culture. Right, if you've ever had the opportunity to go to like a developing country um, that, that doesn't have it nearly as good as we do, it, it'll mess with you, right? It'll mess you in a really good way. Um, Cassie and I had a chance. We went to work at a, an orphanage in Jamaica for a week um, up, up in this mountains. I remember telling people I was going on a missions trip to Jamaica and they're like, oh, sure you are, you know, Jamaica. You know, it's like, no, like we're in the mountains. <laughs> like we're not at the resort, you know. If you, in fact, if you ever go to those places, just get off site for a little bit, drive around and you start to realize what the rest of the country lives like. And so we were working at this orphanage. I've been to Haiti um, twice on, on different trips. And if you go to Haiti, and Haiti's in the news a lot, so we all kind of know the story, but, you know, they're, this country's decimated by, uh, you know, a natural disaster like it seems like every other year, right? Earthquakes, uh, you know, hurricanes, all those things. They, they've had years and years of bad farming practices that have made uh, living there very difficult. Diseases that you and I treat with a pill that they can't even, you know, get, get access to medication for, um, Corrupt governments is a big part of their story and their history. Money, that aid that's been poured in there that's been wasted, that's been used poorly. Because again, having more of something doesn't make you more disciplined with it. And, and just, just a, it's terrible. I mean, so in Haiti, the average person lives on $2 a day. 80% of the country lives on $2 a day. That's not a lot of money. And yet you go to Haiti and you know what you see? You see people smiling like big cheesy grin smiles. And you see people like dancing and, and having fun with their families and their friends and running around and kicking a soccer ball and making a white guy like me look stupid, you know, just <laughs> dribbling in and out of me. Like, whoa, okay, you're 12 and you just schooled me. Uh, right, just, just having fun with what, with what they have. And then you go to church and you see people worshiping for who knows how long, right? You think I preach long. I mean, you might be there for like four hours. Like we had brunch, but that's cool. It's 2 p.m. You just keep going, pastor. Like they just go, you know? And they just, they're worshiping with everything that they have in their souls. And you see these people who have nothing and yet live like they've got something you don't have. That messes with you. And you come home from those trips and you think, man, what am I missing? Because you went there thinking, oh, I'm going to save the day and I'm going to change these people's lives. I'm going to build them this building. And then you come home and you go, no, they changed my life because their perspective is actually more biblical than mine. And by the time you come home, you move from this place of sadness at what these people don't have and wishing you could give them what you have to realizing that they have something you don't have and now you're envying what they have. Wishing you could find a way to have it here in the United States. It's, it's a mind trip. 
The richest people in the world are not those who have more, but those who need less. So um, every week of this uh, Making Change series, we're going to have a little challenge. Because you guys have proven to me over the years you like a little challenge. So to kind of practically put this stuff in play. Because we want to be hearers, but we also want to be doers, right? We want to be doers of the word. Um, so there's going to be something to put this stuff into practice to make, to make a change today that will affect tomorrow. So this week's challenge, it's not, it's not too hard, right? This week's challenge is to find five things to give away for every person in your family. Right, five things to give away. So for us in our household, that's 25 items. I'm going to start in my garage. I can't wait. 25 things to give away, not to put on Facebook Marketplace, right? Not to sell, um, to, to just, just get rid of it. And I would encourage you, especially if you have young kids at home, let, like bring them into this with you. Talk about it. How many of you know that the earlier you can learn about a proper way to think about finances, the better. Like it would have saved you a world of hurt if someone had some of these conversations with you. And we always say that, right? Oh, I wish somebody would have told me when I was 15. I'm like, well, some of you have 15-year-olds. So like now's the time, right? Grab your 7-year-old, your 8-year-old. Uh, we're going to, I mean, my 3-year-old can get some of this. Um, and, and teach them about some of the stuff we're talking about. And here's, here's why we're doing that. And here, here's what we're hoping that will change in our hearts as a result of this. Because um, when it comes to our levels of anxiety and the condition of our hearts, sometimes less is more. And I've actually seen that even in my kids' lives, right? In their playroom or whatever. When we can clear out some of that stuff and only give them a few things to play with, they are actually so much healthier, happier and healthier. So, so much less stress in their life. They don't have all of that clutter. They don't even know what to play with. They're like, I think I got that for Christmas and I haven't even opened it. It's May. Like, whoops. Right, less is more. And so I'm gonna be praying for you this week. I hope you don't leave condemned or, or anything like that. I'm just praying that this will sink into your heart. And as you make this change, you, you'll complete this challenge. You'll, you'll experience a different, a different level of peace by letting some stuff go. There's some stuff, some of you, you've got pictures in your mind right now. You're like, that thing's gone. We're doing this, right? Just get rid of it. You don't need it. Let me pray for us. Father God, uh, your word is true. Always. It's timeless. And it's super practical. And, and you don't separate things in these little boxes of spirituality or, or, or religion and then uh, the practical stuff of life, like money. You actually blend these together and say, no, this is just called life with me at the center. And that's really what this series is about, God, is how we want to put you at the center and we want to put you first in every area of our lives. So what does that look like when it comes to how we think about our finances? Uh, God, we're all in a different spot. Uh, we all... We all have different incomes. We all have different expenses. We all have different levels of stress and anxiety about this, Lord. Um, but all of us can make some changes. All of us can make some shifts. And for some of us, it's just a recalibration, right? God, it's, it's just a, yeah, we've gotten a little off track. We, we get this and we know this. We, we got to get a little back on track on this. And for some of us, this is brand new stuff. This is like, I never even thought God cared about my money. Uh, and and you're, gonna, you're gonna shape our heart Around your, around your life and your thoughts 
And it is going to free us in ways we've never experienced before God. So I'm giving you, I'm giving you credit. I'm giving you thanksgiving in advance as we put this into practice this week. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, real quick, one last passage, right? Luke chapter 12, 15, right? Luke 12, 15, Jesus says, watch out, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. So there's, that, that tells me there's more, more than one kind of greed, right? Did you know you can be greedy and be broke and you can be greedy and be super wealthy? Doesn't matter. You can still be greedy. You can still want more. He says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And here's why. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. In other words, you are not your stuff. And again, I think that runs counter to our world. So much of our world is like, you are what you own. And the problem is, is the more stuff you own, the more your stuff owns you. So we're going to like, we're going to get, we're going to break that this week. And, and we're going to get rid of some stuff and discover that less is more. And I'll be praying for you. I'll be excited to see and hear like, what did that look like for you? How did that work for your family? Um, feel free to just kind of share some stories. Um, hope to have you back next week. We've got three more talks about money. So uh, I'll understand if you just want to hide. But I, I really would appreciate you being here. I think a lot of us need this. Uh, and as you've already noticed, it's not just about like, oh, the church needs your money. Actually, it's like God needs your heart. That's what this is about. God needs your heart. So come on back. Uh, child dedications next week. Discover class, all kinds of stuff. Would love to see you engage in those things, all right? Have a blessed week.
our bad days have an expiration date.